listeners and Phil, it's time for the return of one of my favorite segments on this podcast. I get the feeling maybe Phil's not as fond of it as I am, but I greatly enjoy it. So, Phil, would you like to remind the listeners once again what your DEI certification stands for? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Uh, Diversity, equity, and inclusion. And what exactly does that mean? What does that entail? It entails uh, giving people who are within specific power, a.k.a. white people who are not familiar with, uh, you know, people of color and uh, and the way, essentially the way they move, let's say, right, lack of a better term, um, showing them, you know, like they're people too, they just, you know, they're different and just because they're different doesn't make them the enemy. And it's surely opened so many doors in your career, right? Having gotten this DEI certification. Uh, I'm so not going to talk about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, are, you're just you're just telling me how your, your white people invite you out, pay you $2,000 to teach you <laughs> every, sl- you know, what, here are the words you don't call black people. Here are the words that are okay, right? Uh, I thousands mean, of thousands of dollars. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All that money. All right. So I thought, and, you know, Phil, we've been, going back and forth on the controversial topic of like mutant registration. Mm-hmm. Right. And yes. Phil's finally convinced me that I'm uh, the error of my, my ways that I have some outdated, mostly outmoded ways of thinking when it comes to mutants. Uh, so I thought we do a special uh, DEI, you know, education episode, mutant X-Men edition. Okay. <laughs> and we have your know, DEI expert and someone who's read a lot more X-Men comics than me. And therefore, probably knows more about me than I do. Uh-huh. Although I do question how much pushback you always give me my positions, given that uh, I don't think you have any mutant friends, Phil. Uh, I don't. I don't have any mutant friends. <laughs> okay. So I, need to think, I, need, I think you need to think about your privilege there. Uh, I mean, I do every so often, but then again, I'm also a black man living in America, so I have very little to none. So. Well, just think about that just if you're a mutant, but then... Imagine if I was a, a black man living in America as a mutant. Oh my God, I'd be hung. Yeah, like Darwin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Everyone, everyone definitely knows that he's, you know. Anyways, uh, so although if I guess if someone tried to hug, hang him, someone tried to lynch him, it wouldn't work because you know he would just his power would kick in, right? His power would kick in, yeah. Right. He probably he would, not. A, he would adapt. Yeah, teleport or. I guess his neck would get all stringy. Yeah, yeah, I would think he would extend his neck. All right. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say <laughs> something, and then you're gonna tell me if that's if that considered racist or not, Phil. Because I need okay. you to instruct me as Mr. DI expert. You got it. All right. So if I am talking to an Asian person or a Latino person mm-hmm. or a Middle Eastern person, and I say, "Hey, your English is really good, and you're so articulate, and you're a credit to your race," is that racist? Yes. All right. Well, if I'm saying that to a mutant, that their English is really good, they're accredited to the race. Does that make me racist? Yes. What if I'm talking to Brood, right? The mutant member of the Brood alien race who, as I understand, they don't normally are capable of speaking English, and they normally just assimilate people by laying eggs in them. Yes. Is that, is that not racist for you to compliment Brood <laughs> that way? A member of the X. I- it would be. So you're saying I shouldn't or shouldn't say that to Brood? 
You should not say that to Brood. Okay, whatever. I think I think it's really important that we make Brood feel comfortable that he can speak English. I mean, yes, but to make Brood comfor- comfortable would just be to treat him like any other uh, established person in society. <laughs> I mean, I would argue he's not a person because he's literally a bug, but let's, 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 let's move on. What if uh, I'm walking down the street okay. and I see a black person walking towards me uh-huh. across the street to avoid them? Does uh-huh. that make me racist? Yes. All right. Well, the same scenario, but I see a mutant walking towards me and I cross mm-hmm. the street to avoid him. Does that make me racist? Yes. What if it's Rogue and she's not covered up so her skin can touch me and mm-hmm. it's a really small street and, you know, if she touches me, she's going to drain my life force and I could possibly die and I have to cross the street to avoid her because she doesn't want to walk out of the way. <laughs> Does that make me racist? Uh, let's see. So Rogue, she's she's not... She's not covered up. You're walking down the street. But apparently the street is an alleyway in which you have no choice but to almost touch it. It's a really, really small sidewalk. You know, it's really important I need to get to where I'm going. Why don't you step into the the road? What if if it's, uh, you know, cars just going all the way down, you know? I mean, they they see you. You know, what if I'm on Krakoa and it's just a bunch of... uh, I don't know, speed mutants, super, super fast mutants running down. I mean, <laughs> sure. you, would, you would never be on Kokoa because humans are not allowed. All right, you know what? You didn't answer my question, so I'm, I'm questioning your 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 authority, Mr. DEI. Are you? Okay. I mean, again, like you're giving me such a varied example, so hey, like, you know, is, anything can be... Are you what? telling me if, you, if your DEI training did not train you for this, then why should I listen to you in the first place, huh? <laughs> Because we have to, uh, you know, evolve and adapt. Uh, into, into, into what? Into, into better people. All right, moving on. All right. <laughs> if I am waiting for the elevator, uh-huh. and uh, and then and the elevator opens, mm-hmm. but then uh, uh, a person of color just walks steps into the elevator, mm-hmm. and I said, you know, I'm just gonna wait for the next elevator. Because that makes me uncomfortable. Does that make me racist? Yes. Okay. What if it's a mutant walking into the elevator? That makes me uncomfortable, and I'll take the next one. Does that make me racist? Yes. What if it's that big rocky mutant? I don't know his name, but he's rock, like really rocky. Rock, rock slide? Sure, rock slide. And like, if I know he's gonna be, he he's gonna make, he's super heavy. He goes over the weight limit. He's gonna make the elevator crash. Uh huh. Does that make me racist? Uh, no. You just tell him good luck. There you go. I don't know anything about rock slides, so I guess I guess I need to know. You know, I guess I need to examine my non-rock privilege. Mm. I, don't, see, I don't even know. Like, I don't think I've read a single comic with this character. I just know he, he was in a uh, new uh, New X Men. All right, I can't. I don't know what that is. Um, next one. If I'm working at a, if I'm I'm working at a retail store. Okay. And I and I. There's there's a customer who happens to be black, and I follow this person around at all times to make sure they don't steal anything. Does that make me racist? Oh, definitely. Okay. What if this person is a mutant? Because I want to make sure this mutant is not going to steal anything. And I follow this person around. Yeah, it still makes you racist. Okay, what if this mutant is Gambit, who is literally part of the Thieves Guild? (laughs) And I'm pretty sure it's stolen, even as the member of the X-Men, he still steals stuff. I follow him around to make sure he doesn't steal anything. Does that make me racist? No, because he's a wanted criminal. 
Oh, but why is he? Oh, what? You think he's a he's a mutant that makes him a criminal? That's racist, bro. No, you just he's a part of the thieves guild, right? He steals things. He's he has wanted posters. He's literally a criminal. What you know? Just what if what if that's just uh, anti mutant bias? Because you know the justice system is not friendly towards mutants, <laughs> particularly ones like Gambit. Because you know it's because because he's Cajun, not because of the mutant. It's because he's Cajun. What if, yeah, like what if I do it not because of the mutant, because he's Cajun? I hate Cajun people. <laughs> Oh gosh. It would. Okay. <laughs> uh let's see. Uh what's the last one I have? What if I say I, I'm talking to like an Asian person? I say all you people look alike. Seven racist. I mean, it, if it's you saying it, I I don't think it would be racist. <laughs> well, what if what if what if I'm saying it to a black person? I say all you people look alike. Then that's definitely racist. Okay, what if I say that to a mutant? I say, all oh, your mutants look alike. Uh, that would be racist and wouldn't make sense. What if I'm talking to Jimmy Madrox, a.k.a. Multiple Man, who has the power to duplicate himself, exact duplicates of himself, and I'm talking to a room of Jamie Madrox duplicates? And saying, all you people look alike? Well, yeah, because it's all the same person. They're just duplicates. So it doesn't make you racist, then? No, it doesn't make you racist. That's good, that's good. What if I'm talking to... <laughs> A mutant, but it's uh, it's Cyclops, but it's mm-hmm. Mystique taking the form of Cyclops, and Morph taking the form of Cyclops, and I'm sure there's a few other shape-shifting mutants. <laughs> I say they all look alike. I mean, because they all look like Cyclops, then yes, that's that is fine, because they all look <laughs> like Cyclops, and they shape-shift into Cyclops. Okay. And then finally, if I am talking to a black person and I say. Why do you have to be so loud or so animated? Just calm down. Is that racist? Yes. If I am talking to Banshee or Siren, whose power is they have supersonic screams that can literally kill people, I have to ask him, can you please not be so loud? Calm down. Does that make you racist? Yes. Why why, why does that make you racist? You You want Banshee to be yelling and blowing your eardrums at the minimum, if not bringing your house down? What if she's singing a song and it sounds beautiful? First of all, that's Siren. All right, Banshee is the dude. What if he's singing a song and it sounds <laughs> okay. beautiful? Because wait, no, her 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 code name also changed to Banshee too. Okay, that I didn't know. Yeah, I don't but, think I've ever read a comic with Banshee in it, and I know Siren only from reading X Factor. Yeah, I mean, I only know Siren from reading X Factor too. But at some point, she changed her name to Banshee as well. Okay, are they related? I didn't know they were related. Yeah, that's that's his daughter. Okay, I thought they were just happened to be two also Irish mutants who happened to have the same form. <laughs> no, that's that's his daughter. Okay. Uh, here's the actual last one. Sorry, I just, I need to get this last one out. Um, if I say to uh, a per- let's say a black person or an Asian person saying, "Yeah, hey, like your people's movies," is that racist? Wait, say that again. If I if I'm talking to a black person or an Asian person, I say I uh-huh. like your people's movies. Is that racist? Yes. Why is that racist? I'm complimenting them. Why you gotta be you people's movies? I, okay. I just say hey, I enjoy this 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 genre of cinema. Okay. If I'm talking to a member of the X Men, let's say I like I like your people's movies. Is that like me racist? I didn't even know they made mutant movies. Are you talking yeah. about X Men? X Men Two? X Men Three? X Men Origins Wolverine? 
Uh, I, I can just go on about how many X-Men movies there are. Oh, okay, okay. So, like, actually, okay. Uh, yes. <laughs> All right, Phil. Well, I guess I'm just a racist when it comes to memes. Apparently, and a terrible one at that. You, you need to do some self-reflecting. Uh, yeah, I'll think about that. Um, you know, I just want to say that I think you feel differently the day you get mugged by me. Uh, I don't think so. You know, like, say, what if, like, you're, so you're saying, what if one day, like, your wife is walking on the street and Sabretooth just takes her first? You know, give me that. <laughs> you know, or, or like, your your mom is walking down the street for her job and Mr. Sinister comes up, just like, give me that purse. I'm pretty sure Mr. Sinister is like an introvert. I don't think he robs old ladies on the street. <laughs> you know. <sighs> What if, what if your cousin is saying, hey, look, meet my new boyfriend, girlfriend. I don't, make, I don't know anything about your cousin. And, it's, and they bring home uh, Black Tom Cassidy, you know? Oh, I mean, he they got to get him out of here. He's, a, again, a wanted criminal. I don't care if he controls plants. He okay. needs to get out. All right. Um, trying to think of other criminal mutants. I think of, uh, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I don't know as many villains, so I don't, I don't know. Anyways, I mean, so on that note, uh, do you think I've been racist against mutants? Let us know, listeners. And uh, that's it for our episode. We're all woke now, mutant woke. Yes. Uh, I, and if you can face the world, uh, you know, a little bit better than you did a few moments ago, that means you've developed growth. Good job. <laughs> all right, so. Segwaying into our uh, <laughs> our final week about Jonathan Hickman for tackling Jonathan Hickman's run on X-Men uh, for our last big week on Jonathan Hickman. And this is kind of, you know, his – I don't think he's done anything since then. I think he's been working on other stuff. Uh, he's been doing uh, creator-owned stuff. Creator-owned stuff. I know he's doing some stuff on stuff stack. But this is like the big thing. Yeah, 2019, because uh, Hick, Hickman left after Avengers to do his own thing, mm-hmm. and then to kind of like revitalize the X Men, which as a as a, the comic type, as comics they were not been doing that great. And it's really funny, and Hickman's right; he takes a shot at that. <laughs> uh, that was like the biggest, huge announcement. That was like the biggest news for X Men readers, Marvel readers in years. That Jonathan Hickman is coming back, and he's revi- revitalizing the X Men. It was actually pretty big because they gave him essentially full authorial control mm-hmm. on this entire franchise, the likes of which hasn't been seen since Chris, Chris Claremont had control of the X-Men. But that was all that was back during the 80s or 90s. No, the 80s, yeah. Yeah, so to give this single writer, like, essentially full creative control, I think mm-hmm. it might have been actual creative control. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes, it would have been because uh, the way uh, in interviews they talked about it was essentially uh, he 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 was the the head writer, right? And then he was able to pull in other writers uh, to create a cohesive unit. Because I mean, he wasn't writing every X Men book. You had uh, what is it called? Zeb Wells writing Hellions. You had Benj- uh, Benjamin Percy writing Wolverine. Uh, Ed Breeson writing New Mutants, 
uh, Teeny Howard writing Excalibur. So all these writers coming in to the X room, if you will, to sit there and talk about uh, story beats within their comics that will help push forward the overall narrative of the entire X-Men line, which was amazing. And it's also not at all common in that in that space in the comics industry, mm-hmm. right? And I think you can see some of that, uh, like in Hickman's Avengers run, that there's definitely some editorial pushback. Like you mentioned that he was he was forced for the higher ups to use the movie Avengers. <laughs> uh, there's probably there's probably all sorts of other things that have to happen, but yeah. you definitely don't get a sense of that when reading his X Men, and it's. I think it's very remarkable considering that he is such an auteur, a very unique voice, right? We just spent all these weeks talking about his creator own books. He, for whatever you, whatever you may think of his skill as a writer and the type of stories, he has a very unique voice uh, mm-hmm. as a comics author. And then for him to take that voice uh, and to apply to something as iconic and a huge brand a huge trademark huge icon of marvel the x-men i think it's a as a sign of their faith and their trust in his in his style um which i think is worth examining and to be honest as someone who's never been a big x-men fan like i really like this really brought my interest like he's on x-men all right and you see a lot of his crazy ideas that very different from any his approach to it. We talked a little bit about this. If any listeners have followed the episode we had James Kettner on, his mm-hmm. approach to X Men is very different from all the writers that have come before it. The way he he takes the metaphor of you know being immune as discrimination, as as racist, as as human bigotry, and he takes it into a modern context that I thought was a really fascinating direction. So let's summarize it first. Let's give some brief overview. So in 2019, uh, Marvel relaunches the, all the X-Men books. They canceled previous titles, and you know it sucks for the previous writers who did that. <laughs> um, but and he asked Jonathan Hickman to do it, and he comes up with a few really fascinating conceits. Um, and this is where I feel you can help me. It's both a perfect launching point for new readers to X-Men, people yes. not familiar with X-Men. But also, it's very rewarding for people who have been longtime X-Men fans because there's so many, so many characters, so many cameos, so many plot points <laughs> that I would don't know. It's to its detriment. Um, so here, uh, what it basically is that his 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 what marks his run is that all the mutants, anyway, good evil X-Men Brotherhood of of evil mutants. Every like virtually every character that's ever been a mutant, they all decide to form their own nation, their own mutant nation on an island called Krakoa, which yeah. is not a new concept. This is uh this previously this previously existed, right? There has been this like sentient yeah. living island, right, in the yeah. X Men comics. Yeah, so Krakoa is essentially a, a mutant land. <laughs> yeah. Here in Earth, uh, that has that was around during the the new X Men team. So like the introduction of like Storm, Wolverine, Thunderbird, Banshee, Nightcrawler, yeah. Colossus. Been around since like the eighties, right? Yeah. And so they they decided to make their own mutant nation because Professor X and Magneto have teamed up. They they set aside their differences 
But it's not it's not the usual Professor X and X-Men message we know of like peaceful coexistence of humans. Mm-hmm. It's actually that like he's given up. He's given up on humans <laughs> and humanity. It's hard not to blame him after all the stuff mutants of X-Men have been through. Not just in general, but especially like the last ten or twenty years of X-Men comics. Yeah. And he said like it's almost like kind of mutant supremacy, right? It's like we're we're better. We are an XM evolution. We're not gonna coexist with humans. We don't trust you. We're gonna form our own socio-political entity. They they like are recognized by the UN. They start growing like Krakoa Bolivia starts growing these flowers. Now they're exporting this essential good. Because mm-hmm. like these flowers, like they're basically they're, it's actually like what they're like super drugs. Super right? drugs like, that extend life extend, extend life um get allowing people to live much longer uh but still like feeling youthful um yeah. they activate these portals all over the all over major cities around the world uh giving them like qu- quick and clear access as well as like to the moon which is yeah crazy. to the moon and it's like general amnesty like all mutants are forgiven so even even like people like apocalypse and sinister not Saber Tooth. We'll get to Saber Tooth in a minute. <laughs> uh, uh, like Exodus. All, uh, yeah, all these longtime arch enemies of the X Men and people who have tried to genocide the Earth multiple times, they're all given amnesty. They all come together and live together. They form a very thought out, detailed, very Hickman style like culture of, of like they have their own language, they mm-hmm. have their own religion essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's like such a incredible reimagining of X-Men because it's very much more in line with like modern identity politics, a lot of nationalism, Zionism, right? Like we're forming these socio-ethnic states and it's not this broad metaphor about like diversity and acceptance and like, it was like, no, you know what? If we're much more militant, you leave us alone, leave us alone, we'll leave you alone. But if you don't leave us alone, we're going to like <laughs> mess you up. Yes, essentially. So it's like, yo, we just want our own corner of the earth. We're not going to bother you. Don't bother us. We're minding, we're literally minding our own business and giving you gifts, but yet you still want to harm and threaten and take and, and take what's ours, which is crazy. So I think here, as, as a longtime X-Men fan, um, I, I I had loved seeing this move. Um, I think, com- okay, this is this is this is a hot take I'm gonna say right now. But comparing it to Avengers versus X Men, where the X Men finally had gotten the Phoenix Force and started to do miracles around the world, I think this is like this, but more uh, of a mental game. Right. Rather than seeing like brute force to do acts of good, it's more of a like, yo, we can play your games, but we can play them much better. Well, it's a much more thoughtful type of world building and much more thoughtful use of this metaphor that I think only Hickman, someone like Hickman, with the way you've seen like the way he approaches, you know, and all his works, he's very fascinated with like, you know, empires and nation states and politics and, right. and he's like kind of larger-than-life individuals going against each other. They all have their own agendas. For him to do that, to be excellent, it kind of, I would argue, it elevates it to not, it's kind of above the standard type of superhero comic, mm-hmm. right? It's not really about, like, good versus evil, mutant versus whatever bad guy, 
I mean, there is some of that with, with like the whole set no storyline, which we'll get into a little bit. But it's like, yeah, it's like taking someone who I think understands a more modern, more grounded idea of of identity, of of modern manifestations of discrimination and bigotry, you know, and seeing how these different groups throughout history have responded to that, right? Like, because as the X-Men started, you know, in the 60s as a metaphor for civil rights, right? Um, of, of, you know, at a time of that reckoning in American consciousness by two, you know, and, and, and it's kind of a weird metaphor that, like, this is a metaphor for civil rights, and yet the original X-Men, they're all these, like, pretty white, white kids, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it makes more sense, because Stanley and Jack Kirby, they're Jewish, right? And they yeah, occupy right. that space of, like, well, we're, we're white, but we're also not white, you know? Mm-hmm. We are a minority in some sense, and we we can pass, but at the end of the day, we are different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and different people since then have taken different ways of interpreting that. Chris Claremont, not so much. He put on, like, the crazy, like, soap opera stuff. <laughs> and, like, here's here's Brood. Here's GDR. Here's all wacky space shit. Um, Grant Morrison, I would argue, was the last person to really kind of handle this new metaphor into a new, the next stage, you know, in, like, the early 2000s. Because, like, okay, now we're, mutants have their own culture, right? Mm-hmm. There's not just... We're not just doing the simple, like, civil rights discriminatory, you know, we're going to get a lynch mob. Like, mutants... There's still some of that, but mutants have formed their own culture. They formed their own identity. There's a mutant town. There's mutant fashion designers, mutant yeah. models, right? And then the, the villains have kind of changed to adopt the metaphor. It's like the human, this group of human supremacists. But they're not just like, we're going to like kill all mutants because we hate them because they're different. It's like, we're going to harvest their organs and apply them to us. Yeah, to That's us. like a metaphor. That's a metaphor for like cultural appropriation, right? How like white people you know, patriarchy, like, we hate these these different groups, but there's also a part of it we like, that we want yeah. for ourselves. Yeah. And then, kind of in between, as you're talking about, that, no one's really kind of done anything with that metaphor. Actually, it's all kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, standard superhero comic book, comic book stuff. Yeah. Like, the biggest thing you mentioned, it's like, oh yeah, let's just have the Edge Avengers and X-Men fight. Big one. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and it's not until John Hickman really starts to like, I would argue, like someone who really understands the core, the, the core of X Men, and he's gonna put this new direction on it. Um, there's also some more really interesting changes in terms of the lore and the continuity of X Men. This is real. I guess you want to talk about them. So there's like Moira Taggart, and then the whole like the five thing. Yes, sure. definitely talk about that. So uh, Moira Taggart is uh, the uh, human ally to the X-Men, also introduced yeah. in the 80s. Yeah, long-time, uh, long-time supporting character. People probably know her from the movies, played by uh, Rose Byrne. Rose Byrne. First Class and yeah. whatever came after First Class. <laughs> uh, that was Days of Future's Past. She wasn't in that, but she was in Apocalypse, which was whatever. Oh, yeah. But the uh, so Moira Taggart, uh, genetic scientist studying studying mutants. Sometimes, um, sometimes love interest of, of Xavier. Right, sometimes love interest of Xavier. She also has a mutant son known as uh, uh, Proteus. Um, she lives her life to the fullest and dies on her deathbed at the age of seventy uh, or eighty something, and then she wakes up again in 
in uh, what's, what's, in the, she wakes up again in the fetus and she realizes that she is uh, reliving her life again. Um, goes on to learn and studies what mutants are and essentially learns about Charles Xavier uh, and his dream to uh, unite mutant kind and humankind under one big happy rainbow. Uh, she wasn't the biggest fan of being a mutant, so what she does is develop a cure. Uh, once she develops that cure, she gets killed by Destiny and Mystique. Uh, and Destiny essentially gives her a choice. Like, yo, you do this again, we're going to come after you and kill you again. All right? You can either help mutant kind or just live your life by the wayside, but don't you dare ever make a cure again. So that essentially, like, kickstarts her goal of creating a world for mutants. So she starts off with Xavier, works with Xavier, realizes the dream, sees the dream crumble. So then she moves on to Magneto, uh, a much more force, forceful hand that falls as quickly as it uh, as it as it rolls. Um, and then sides with the apocalypse at some point to essentially incinerate uh humankind because humans you know build machines the machines go and hunt the mutants but then the machines become smart enough to realize mutants are come from humans so it starts to hunt the humans and uh yeah it's just a big nasty war so what she does is on her sixth or seventh life i don't even remember uh, she goes to Xavier, have him read her mind to see all the lies that she lived and see what things happen. And the things that happen are they always lose in every baby, scenario. Baby mutants. Yes, mutants always lose in every scenario. And so she realizes that Xavier is a great man, a very great, kind man who is able to put, you know, who's able to bring out the best in people. But the biggest thing that always hinders mutant kind from, like, essentially winning in the end is his kindness. So in order to make sure uh, mutant kind to survive in the coming years, she has to break his kindness. And that's by showing him the, the, the lives that she lived, um, which goes ahead and inspires, brings a truce to Magneto. So the two friends, once again, uh, are united, this time at an earlier time frame, and they essentially start Krakoa. Uh, and like Eric mentioned before, with Krakoa, it brings in everybody, like Amnesty to all mutants, all the evil mutants, Hellfire Club, Apocalypse, Exodus, um senate well the one sinister with the x gene in it um yeah <laughs> yeah a bunch so, of a bunch of the characters that well some of which i didn't right now you're right uh, but that's essentially like john hickman like took this longtime supporting character retconner into a mutant who can reincarnate that's what kicks off this radical <clears throat> status quo change yeah another big radical thing he he puts in it's a very hickman invention was that uh, there's these five five particular mutants who have existed in, in, in these are new creations. They've all existed uh, mm -hmm. in, in the comics already. But he basically, they all work together to create essentially like these these life pod egg things that can yeah. resurrect mutants when they die. So he became so the idea that basically 
mutants cannot die. They can be yeah, resurrected yeah. over and over. And he illustrates it in the very first volume of his run, uh, House of X, Powers of X, that the mutants go, like the, the big X-Men, the big X-Men characters, Jean Grey, Wolverine, Cyclops, I don't think Storm, but uh, a few other characters, they go on a mission, they all get killed, like actually killed, and then they yeah. all come back to life on Krakoa. Yes. Um, it was, uh, so the five are, you have Tempest, Proteus, Hope Summers, Elixir, and Egg. Uh, it's <laughs> AKA, formerly Gold, gold Ball. <laughs> it was yes. like a Bendis, a Bendis creation from his run on X-Men. Uh, I think almost everyone in this lineup, except for Proteus, is a Bendis creation. No, and not Elixir. Um, so Tempest is the Australian girl that was in um, uh, Uncanny X Men. Uncanny X Men. You're, you're talking to the wrong person. Who I I knew almost I knew no I know who any of these characters other than Gold Ball. That's only because I read so much Sp- Miles Morales Spider Man. Right. And whole summer because I read Cable. Right. And, and whatever that crossover book she was introduced. Oh, uh, complex. complex. And then also, so um, there's a lot of there's a lot of Mexican continuity stuff. <laughs> uh, it's it's and, and this is where it gets to be. I I think it starts to feel it's it starts to stumble a little bit because on top of this like rebuilding of the status quo, this new world that that of the mutants. There is this other storyline that's running through this initial part. It's that there's like some kind of future, far, far future, where Sentinels have taken over the world and they're gonna hunt everyone to extinction. Yep. I'm gonna be honest. Every time I read this, I read this run of action, I always skip those sections. Really? Because <laughs> it's just this is where the part of the story that doesn't really work for me, mm-hmm. partially because I don't know who any these characters are. <laughs> I mean, but uh, that's that's the whole point, though, because so far in the future, it's not just, like, any characters. It's, like, a amalgamation of a whole bunch of different characters. But even even the whole, there is this running thread of, like, these, these Sentinels are, are plotting to overthrow, wipe out these mutants, because that's what their Sentinels are doing. And this is where it's, like, kind of, like, the, the issues of, like, his run on Avengers. It's, like, I don't, there's a lack of, like, the, the there's lack of focus on character. Starts mm-hmm. to show its its weakness here is more about the plot and the concepts. So mm-hmm. like, hey, here's these. Cause he comes up with the idea of like, you know, machines are like the natural enemy of the mutants, right? If mutants are like the next step of evolution of humanity, mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. like machines and AI are their greatest threat. Right. And he makes some like interesting like thematic stuff in there, but like the whole the actual story kind of falls apart for me, partially <laughs> because I just don't care about these characters, mainly because I don't know who half of them are. Okay. Like, like, who is this like evil Seto mutant person that's helping them? That's Paul. That's a that's a Omega Sentinel. Yeah. See, so I, the fact that I don't know who this person is, it's like, why is this person helping them? Why am I supposed to care? Uh, she, I mean, well, she she was a hero at at one point, um, because she's like a human Sentinel hybrid, <laughs> uh. And uh, after, and then she ended up being, uh, what was it? She, I think she was uh, killed or dismantled or something at some point. And after, it was during, I think, either Divided We Stand or uh, Messiah Complex was when she turned evil. Something, I forgot, something happened that activated the, her Sentinel program. 
Um, I think it might have been either like Stupid John Sublime or Bastion. One of those two X-Men films. <laughs> so, do you know who John Sublime is? I know who John Sublime is. I read Grant Morrison's X-Men. Right? So, <laughs> full disclosure, here's here's kind of the breadth of my X-Men reading knowledge. Oh, right? Yeah. I read the first volume of Ultimate X-Men by Mark Millar. I think that might have been my introduction to X-Men, to be honest. Uh, read Chris Claremont's classic Wolverine run, the original one with Frank Miller. Mm-hmm. I've read a bunch of Wolverine books like Greg Rucka, Jason Aaron. Okay. Uh, this Marvel Knights book, Angel Revelations. Uh, like the really artsy, trippy one? Yes, I really like that one a lot. Joss okay. Whedon's Astonishing X-Men. That's okay. like the first, I think, like actual team X-Men book I got me in, followed by Grant Morrison's X-Men, which predates that, you know, bits and pieces of like the 2010s X-Men of like Kieran Gill and Milk Fraction wasn't really that great. Mm-hmm. So like my actual knowledge of X-Men is mostly limited to like the, the individual characters mm-hmm. and their, their, their titles. I've never been a big fan of the actual team book X-Men. Mm-hmm. Never, I've never read any of the Chris, Chris Claremont run, uh, you know. So there, there's a big thank you. And I guess where it's like most, I don't know, I barely know who the New Mutants are. I have no idea who Excalibur is. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I mean, because you have if it's, if it's not in the movie, if these characters don't show up in the movie, I probably don't know. If it's not a character show in the movie or Phantom mm-hmm. X, I don't know. I probably don't know who that character is. Oh my gosh, you know what? That's 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 completely valid. I mean there there's a lot of mutants. There are a lot of mutants. And I think with uh Dawn of X, because it's broken up into three parts, well four parts now, uh introduces a lot because I think this is the most amount of team books on an X-Men series that I've ever seen, honestly. I mean that yeah. I've personally seen. So let's let's get, let's go quick reading order for people who want to know. So it starts off with House of X, Powers of X. Right. right, which I think are collected together. That's like the big, the big kicking off point, right? Then mm-hmm. it goes into Dawn of X. Is that how it goes? Uh, no, Dawn of X is like the umbrella. The umbrella of like here's a bunch of titles. Yes. Yeah, so it includes, it would be X Men. Yeah, which Jonathan Hickman wrote, like, right. like the, the mainline X Men book. A bunch of other titles. I didn't read any of those. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. I mean, neither did I. I'm not gonna lie, I didn't read. But there's uh, Marauders, uh, with that. I think that was Jerry Duggan, uh, Vita Ayala, and Benjamin Percy. Uh, Excalibur by Teeny Howard. New Mu- New Mutants, which was also done with Jonathan Hickman and Ed Breeson. Uh, X Force, which was Benjamin Percy. Fallen Angels, which was Brian Edward Hill. Uh, Wolverine again, Benjamin Percy, Cable, Jerry Duggan, uh, Hellions, Zeb Wells, and X Factor, uh, Leah Williams. Yeah, so it's, so yeah, Pass of X, Power X. This is like the story that kicks it off. Dawn of X is like establishing every corner of this new status quo mm-hmm. from all the different X Men teams and X Men books. Fall by Reign of X, which I'm guessing I don't know if I read that. I guess it's. You're seeing them more, like, you know, I guess they're, like, really coming to, at the peak of, like, this new age. Yes. Of, like, this new, this I think people call it the Crone Age at this era of X-Men. Followed by Destiny of X, which is kind of, like, now kind of the, the downfall of, of 
this new era of X-Fans, like, according to this, it's like a lot of old secrets and lies are coming back. Because the yes. other thing I do like that Java Hickman does with this X-Men team is that these aren't, they're not typical superheroes who just have that powers. They have a very, they literally say they don't follow human ethics. They don't follow human morality. They have mutant morality. Yes. <laughs> and you make, this is what I really like that a writer hasn't done since Grant Morrison. So he makes the X-Men and the mutants much more alien. They're very much not human-like. Like, they have a law. Like, what's a cardinal role? No human shall be harmed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, murder is not allowed on on, on Krakoa, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. At the same time, they also, like, punish Sabretooth for these crimes, like, bury him super deep into the, the island. It's like, all right, well, that's a, that's a nice loophole around, <laughs> around the whole no murder thing. Yeah. And then uh, make more mutants. Yeah. So this is like, it's kind of, it reminds me of like, this is like the better writers of like Black Panther do. It's like, they make it so like, he's isn't like a typical superhero who you know always does a good thing. Like he's first and foremost putting the interests of his nation at heart. Right. And this is kind of the same thing with like, all right, we're not, they're not going out and saving the world for everyone. We're looking out for mutant and Coca-Cola first. And happens to be the big threat, like Sentinels, whatever Sentinel nonsense. All right, I don't, I don't. You're gonna have to explain that stuff to me later. Oh gosh. So yes, uh, so I think that that that's the fascinating point, right? So like you mentioned before, Jonathan Hickman is setting up this this big showdown essentially between mutant kind and the Sentinels, and within that first issue right of them going to uh i don't even know where they are like where, where are they hold on let me pull space, up space space oh, yeah know. but like we're in space i think the other side of oh they were like hiding in the blind spot of the sun of some nonsense something something crazy like that it's a very it's a very john hickman type of thing <laughs> yes in order to destroy this this station um and essentially because they were building this mother mold right this big huge sentinel head that would mass produce sentinels at an alarmingly fast rate um at a largely large number of them to essentially wipe out the mutants on 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 the earth uh on the planet anyways and just showing that whole uh dichotomy between the two like the human the mutants are struggling to survive while the humans are creating these war machines to not lose relevance within the world it's, it's just it's just some so interesting dynamic happening here and then of course like it's java hickman always does or tries to get away with his books we have the java hickman infographics and the yeah. charts and the timelines. <laughs> uh, how did you feel they work in X Men book versus some of his other Marvel works? Uh, I would say these work the best in these X Men books. Uh, in Fantastic Four, we don't really see it. Um, they're there because... a little bit. They're like a tiny bit, mainly like, like the just... roster. The roster of like the, the roster. Future Foundation. Yeah. Right? In Avengers, they're like here's a little like cool like organization of who's on the team with their icons right but here it's much more myth making which brings in the stuff that he used to do for pax romana and nightly <gasps> i think it also helps is that 
just the sheer breadth and just the sheer amount of mutants and X-Men and stuff there is in lore. Like, it is actually kind of helping an organizational tool. And you can tell this is a guy who is a big X-Men fan. He goes into, like, you know, here's all the Omega level mutants, whatever that is. You know? Yeah, that's, that's the strongest, the highest level mutant there is. Yeah, know? which I guess, you know, you you people, as in you X-Men fans, really care about. I'm just like, I, whatever. All right, I'm just yeah, like, whatever. Like who's, who's, like a strong, who's, the, who's the strongest? So you would have, like, Cable, Magneto, King Grey. All right. Iceman. Iceman is so, Omega. Uh, you didn't feel like it interrupted the narrative or anything like that? It was, it was obtrusive? Uh, no, especially for House of X and Power of X, I would argue and say that it really helped solidify what I was reading. Um, going, jumping, like, between timelines of, like, the 100 years into the future and then into the far future, so, like, a 1,000 years into the future, like, really helped get an understanding of how, essentially, the timeline worked uh, for each of these characters. Um... And, of course, the revelation of how Moira Taggart um, was fundamental in each of these timelines. Yeah, so, and he actually gives, like, a graph mapping her different lives and the timelines and the events that she changes. Right. Um, I think it works really well. X-Men, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a brand, it's a cast of characters that's much more suited for Hickman's sensibilities than Avengers was. Mm. Just because, like, it's such an established universe that it's in the marvel universe but it's also very separate right whereas avengers it feels for whatever reason it just feels different right because it is just like a team you know right right. it's not like a cohesive it doesn't feel like a cohesive type of thing it's like here's a mismatch of these other characters right Um, and whereas whereas x-men it does it does feel like it's adding to like the sense of the world the vibrancy the depth to it uh, here's something I really want to do, and half my reason for wanting to do this is that Phil can explain to me who all these characters I don't recognize. <laughs> can, you, can you see my screen? Uh, yes, I can. All right, so this is in House of X Power. Who, who is this? Who are these people? So that is uh, Exodus and his acolytes. Okay, I kind of know the acolytes only from the cartoon because there's that story arc where they're on the asteroid and one yes. is an asshole betrays Magneto. Yes. And there's a few of the X Men there. This is like an Asteroid M thing, which I guess is from the comics. Who the hell is yeah. Exodus? I don't know who, who is this guy. So Exodus is another one of those like super mutants uh, who was chosen by Apocalypse, hence the name Exodus. Uh, he is also an level, o- Omega level mutant. Um, okay, okay, sure. <laughs> All right, so what can he do? What can he do? What's if, tell me, what can he do? And in one sense. Like, why? What has he done? What has he done in X-Men? Okay, so he is a telepath, telekinesis. Uh, he's also immortal. Uh, he's, been around <laughs> since, he's, okay. he's been around since the 12th century. Okay. And uh, he has superhuman strength and uh, a healing factor. Okay. So basically everything. Pretty much. All and, right. and what, he's, like, he's been like a villain that the X-Men yes, fought? Yes, he was a villain in uh, X Force. Okay, and he's and, acolytes. What are, yes. what are they? What's their deal again? So <laughs> like, the so the so the acolytes they worked with uh, Magneto. Um, they were under the leadership of Fabian Cortez. He was the guy he was talking about. Who was the dick? Yes, and yeah, he's got, he's got the headband. 
you yes. know, the big you know that the the like I can tell they were acting like just the way their costumes look. It's like wow, they haven't changed since the nineties. Yes. I just so, know all I know is maybe is that I guess he's a dick. He's only undercutting Magneto. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Uh, he, I mean, he's also royalty, so there's also that. Yeah. Um, but they pledged them. They essentially pledged themselves to Magneto and his cause. Um, which was during the whole like you know right. use of Al- moving on, uh, moving on, lost some interest. Uh, who are these? Who is these characters at the top? Uh, the, uh that's Omega I, Red. Okay, I recognize. I only know Omega Red is that he's Russian and he's got metal tentacles out of his arms. Yes, he's also like absorbs and he. So his tentacles are made of um metal. Uh, yeah, don't don't bother. please don't explain to me. <laughs> you don't have to explain. To me. <laughs> All right, and there's there's you know uh, the Gorgon right because this thing from the every comic book writer in this in this part of comics they always have to bring in the characters they made from their other comics. Uh, Namor shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, there, I think there's more, there's more there were more characters that I didn't recognize in, in like Dawn of X and whatnot because like the mainline X Men book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Uh, so here we go. Here's the, here's the council, right? Here's the ruling council of X Men. Right? Yes. You can tell this is how 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 definitely this is not your 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 your, your grandfather's X Men because these are heroes and villains. This is, this is Exodus, I assume, right? The guy with the yeah. So Exodus, Sinister Mystique. Yeah, and he's got red skin, like literally, like literally red. <laughs> Just like me. Yes. Um. Okay. Also. Did I miss something? Why can't Xavier walk again? Oh, this is oh he he didn't uh I don't know. They I don't I don't remember them mentioning it in the thing because in some parts it starts off him walking, so I'm assuming it happened in the previous X Men comics. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking too. Okay. Also, it also took me by surprise. I guess Jean Grey was was resurrected a while ago. Yes, she she came back. That was a Phoenix War End Song War Song Phoenix War Song. I don't yes. really know or care. And uh, I'm going to be honest, hot take, I'm not really a big fan of her as the Marvel Girl costume. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. I think it's kind of silly. <laughs> it hasn't aged well since the 60s. And I was like, everyone else looks cool. Everyone else has redesigned costumes, especially when you look at Xavier's design. He's yeah, in like, the black looks, suit. looks so dope. He's got the, he's got the like, Cerebo with the giant X. Yeah. You're next to like, <laughs> she's back with the green the green skirt, the go-go boots, and the big giant mask on her face. Well, don't worry, she she gets she gets a new costume as well. All right, you know, sure. Any X Men fans out there hate me. If any of them really care about. No, nobody nobody likes the the Marvel Girl outfit. Yeah, um, you know, uh, there's Dazzler, right? Mutant pop star. And oh yeah, and then it's kind of like so. We can talk a little more about Don of X, like you're setting up, here's all these different teams, different identities. Here's another big thing that I really enjoyed. They're probably been all the fanboys really mad. Is a John. So he sets up, like, he's, he's like, another cool thing is that he has, like, this graphs and these charts about where the X-Men live on the island, mm-hmm. right? Here's here's their house. Here's where all they all live. The mm-hmm. Summers family of Jean Grey, Scott Summers, all the relatives from all of whatever timelines, alternate realities, and Wolverine all living in a on house the on the moon. On the moon. Yeah. And it also looks like an implication that they're in like a polyamorous relationship. 
Yes, because the the door, the room to Jean Grey, uh, Wolverine and Cyclops, they're they're conjoined and they each have an entrance on their side of the room to get to go into her room. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, it's also like in one of the X Men issues, it's like oh, I, I I had to go look it up. But it was like, issue seven. It was issue, issue seven, seven where it's like I think they're trying to convince Cyclops trying to convince Wolverine to join him on family vacation. Yes. He's like, uh, eh, I don't know. I need good reason. He goes like, you know, Jean in a bikini, Scott, yeah. Scott in a speedo. Yeah, that's the thing. He's like, <laughs> and that's the thing. He's like, whoa. And Wolverine doesn't turn. And I, I, Wolverine's convinced to go there. He's like, whoa. All right, John Hickman's really going there. Yeah. That just made me laugh so hard. First of all, kudos to him, and you know, all the all the you know, poly LGBT that space. Kudos for the representation, but also it probably made so many like Wolverine fanboys so mad. You know, it's funny, but because of like I guess how old Wolverine is, because like do you do you remember the cover of Wolverine where he's like he's sitting there at the uh, at a table with a beer and like Nightcrawler is in the foreground like naked. You remember that cover? No, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Uh, Wolverine. But yeah, come on. If it makes sense, a guy's someone who's been as long as live as Wolverine. Come on, man. You know, he's 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 pretty fluid in his sexuality. Plus the mm-hmm. fact that these are mutants, so like that concept is I think they might even straight up said it at some point. Like that's a human concept, doesn't apply to mutants. Mm-hmm. You know, like gay, straight, bi, pan, etc. Like it doesn't apply to mutants because they're just you know, mutants, you know. Right. So it's a, it's a nice tidbit, I thought, of, like, emphasizing that these mutants are a, more alien, but also just, like, just getting the whole, like, Cyclops, Jean Grey, Wolverine thing. <laughs> just, like, setting that going. I mean, um, uh, here, here is the, the cover that I'm referring to. Alright. Um, so, here's another thing. I think I saw it in, in one of the issues. So, Wolverine, so, Wolverine has a clone, X-23, mm-hmm. right, from originated in the cartoon they brought it in the comics mm-hmm. most people will probably know her from logan in the movie great movie but i yeah. guess i guess she i guess laura x-23 also had a clone as well um she didn't have a clone she's like another one of the wolverine clones um uh honey yeah. badger okay that's where i got confused like who is this honey badger person why are there three wolverines why are they all why are they all dressed in like a similar costume right yes I guess I guess X twenty three is also Wolverine now, not X twenty three. Yeah, she's Wolverine now, and then Dakin is also on the island too. Yes, which is not showing up in any of the X Men comics I read. But that's what it's like. But he's just he just he he's just Dakin. He's not Wolverine. No, he's just Dakin. Okay, but X twenty three is Wolverine, but Logan is also Wolverine, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, right. I just want to make sure that I have that straight. Like you know, Peter Parker and Miles are both called Spider Man. Yes. All right, what is this cover? What? Yeah, this is like, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's... So, so, so the cover was done intentionally to, like, show off, like, the, the homoeroticism of, like, Wolverine. Uh, like, especially where the beer, the beer bottle is uh-huh. positioned. It's supposed to be, like, you know, the, the idea of the erection. He's, like, in this, <laughs> like, down this, like, slouching position, right? Nightcrawler there in the foreground. We don't see the nakedness, but we know he's naked. So, yeah. I, I just thought that was, like, neat little history. Yeah, that's, uh... 
know, maybe he just teleported and he lost his clothes through whatever that dimension he teleported. Is that, is that how it goes, right? He teleports, he's actually traveling through another dimension. Yes. Okay, I just want to make sure just how ridiculous these things are. <laughs> Who's this lady with the big sword? Magic? Uh, Where? Let me see. Oh, I don't have it, but she was in the beginning. But, like, uh, this the X-Men mutant who has a big sword, magic. Yeah, and magic. She's, she's related to Colossus. Is that literally yeah. her mutant power? Magic? No. Okay. Uh, oh, yes, yes. Yeah, <laughs> okay, because I was going to say, not to be, like, ultra comic book nerd, even though I'm going to be, like, comic book guy nerd, how can yeah. magic be a mutant power? <laughs> Those are two separate things. I mean, Scarlet Witch, her mutant power was chaos magic, so. Well, Depending on who you talk to, that's been recommended. But what is magic's <laughs> power? Is it just generic magic? That's it? Just magic? Uh, uh, you know, I don't really understand Eliana's powers, to be completely honest. Oh, you know what it is? Now I remember. Uh, her power is, is is magic, but it's it's tied to her soul. That's what it is. Because I don't know if you remember Inferno, the, no. the big event. I didn't get that far. Okay. Well, no, Inferno would happen like there's the new Inferno and then there's the old Inferno. Oh so, my god. Oh my god. So the old Inferno. Yeah. Yeah. The old Inferno like just, Okay, at, what's her power? What's her power? Just tell me what's her power. Uh, for the love of the game, I'll just say magic. Okay. okay. Cuz I, I I I honestly can't remember. It's it's something, something like she trained under Doctor Strange. Okay. Cause I'm like, and there's not all, not every mutant shows up in his comic, but a lot of them do. But he definitely gives lists. Hickman loves giving lists of like, here's what's been going on with this mutant, right? And I've just, it made me go down a rabbit hole of just like looking up all these different X-Men teams over the years, mm-hmm. and like the X-Men members, and I'm just like, this is this really can't be a real mutant, right? <laughs> like a mutant like lifeguard whose power is she just makes whatever power she needs for the situation. I thought that has to be the laziest writing I've ever heard. Yeah, I've, honestly, I've never heard of that, that character. Right? Not as even worse than Darwin, which I would argue is even lazier writer. Oh, gosh. You know, like, I like Darwin, especially because uh, I was a big fan of the rise and fall of the Shi'ar Empire, which he played a very big role in. Okay. okay. For those who don't know, Darwin, his power is that he has... He evolves whatever power he needs to save his life, but the catch is that he doesn't have control over it. He adapts. His, yeah. his power is to adapt to any situation. And of course, the funny conceit, which I thought was always kind of funny, that he's like black Latino, right? Or is he just black? Yeah, he's black Latino. But but because he, when his mutation manifests, he's like a pasty white guy. Like yeah, literally, he, like, he like, like, like he looks like white. a gray alien. He looks like yeah, a gray yeah. alien. Yeah, <laughs> which I always thought was really funny. Yeah. Uh, you know, it is what it is, I guess. But yes, he he looks like a gray alien, but he's a black Latino. Um. So would you say does Darwin count as a person of color? Yes. But he's literally white. Literally. He's, <laughs> he's, he's gray. Why is why is why is he count as a person of color, but not She-Hulk? Cause She-Hulk is a white woman. She-Hulk is green. Literally, gamma, gamma. You want you want to go into like the discrimination of gamma radiation now? <laughs> we, we, we can. We can. Uh, okay, listeners, tell us what you think about you know those Darwin cats, Prisco, those Nightcrawler. But that logic is Nightcrawler, Prisco color. 
Um, it's literally blue. He's that's his fur. I'm pretty sure it's skin. But it's fur. But maybe I maybe I, are you sure? Maybe I only think it's skin because of the movie. Uh, it's probably because of the movie, but in the comics, it's established as fur. That's mystique count. That's fur set color. Yes. Uh, I think on that, I think that's a good note to end it there. <laughs> so yeah, that's well. Before, let's 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 do a proper sign off. So that concludes our you know retrospective on the works of John the Hickman. Six weeks, I think, six episodes of both his him as playing in the established IP universe, but also his creator own works. Well, what what do you think? Has your idea, has your opinion changed of Hickman? You know, has it gone up, gone down? I I would say it stayed the same. Like, um, it's gone up slightly, especially reading his uh, older work. Um, Clearly a man with big ideas and essentially knows for the most part how to execute them. It just gets a little bogged down because sometimes we deal with characters we have no sense or emotional attachment to. So I think that's like the biggest weakness. But other than that, I I greatly enjoy the stories. I think for whatever people feel about Hickman, you know, I'm a big Hickman fan. You're a big Hickman fan. I know people who are a big Hickman fan. Whatever you can say, I think he's someone with a very distinct voice. Yeah. Which, and it always comes through in all his comics, even his established, you know, even when he's on his corporate owned superhero books, which I think is not something people can downplay or dismiss. You know, they have a very, like when you read like a line of dialogue, you, know, you read a paragraph or a page of like just script, you can tell you can tell it's like that's a Hickman, that's a Hickman mm. book. Mm-hmm. I think that is something very distinct that he's able to leave his mark, for better and for worse, on on across so many different genres, so many different types of stories, and yet that voice it's unmistak- unmistakably Hickman, which I think is cool, and that's yeah. uh. You know, to I would consider that it's a mark of success to be as successful, but also people know your style, right? They don't. Oh. No one can confuse a Hickman comic or a Hickman X Men, a Hickman Avengers for another type of thing. Which I think for me is the worst thing is that like if it just blends together with someone else, it's not memorable, right? Whether it's good or bad, if it's for me not being memorable, it's the the biggest failure. That is true. That is that is like the argument of being an artist and plateauing. You would never want to plateau, so you always gotta make sure you keep making leaps and bounds in your creative process, even if sometimes those creative processes don't, you know, and don't end up reaching the goal. Yeah, even they fall flat or there's missteps. Like we just met you of X Men, right? So many different writers and different people have got their hands on it. But, like, the, the fact that there are so few names that people, like, yeah, that's the Chris Claremont round. That's the Grant Morrison run. That's the Hickman run. Like, like how many people are really can name the stuff in between Grant Morrison and Hickman? The 20 years, right? Uh, nothing really, nothing really stands out. Chuck Austin? <laughs> okay, that might be the exception of, like, <laughs> of, like being memorable as a worst failure. Because, you know, you could just fail. Yeah, Chuck Austin, the Fabian, Fabian, uh, what's his name? Fabian. I don't know. Don't everyone else go look up some, go look up some Chuck Austin. And this is the reason why he's never working comics since then. 
the, that note. Uh, writer. Damn it. Whatever. Okay. On that note, I'm Eric Wong. Uh, I'm Phil Fleming. And uh, we are lost. Oh, God. I thought you were going <laughs> to go with, like, mute next. I already said it. All right, lost. Okay, so it makes sense. There's an island. Yes.